morning? All right. I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6 today. Genesis chapter 6. Well, we are starting a new series, and, and here's the thing that's crazy about this series is this six-part series is actually going to lead us up to Easter. That's right. Easter is six weeks away, and, uh, and I'm excited. I'm, I believe that God has a timely word for our congregation that he wants to share. Our series that we're starting this morning, can anyone guess what it's entitled? Epic. Epic. Yes, you're, you're all very astute. Uh, the series is entitled Epic. Pastor Wayne Cadero, who pastors a church in Hawaii um, in his book, Dream Releasers, talks about potential. And there's something that he wrote in that book and something, if you ever heard him speak or share, you, you might have heard him say this. He says the place that, that has the most, potential, uh, the most potential around us is the graveyard. The problem is it's potential that was unrealized. The way he talks about it is this, how many books weren't written and how many dreams weren't realized, how many businesses weren't started, how many missions trips weren't taken, opportunities to serve weren't heeded by those who now reside six feet under the ground. Lots of unrealized potential. Wayne's statement is this. He says, I want to die empty. I want to die empty. I want to die in such a way that I've done everything that I could possibly do. I don't want there to be any regret. I don't want to be at the end of my life. And, and I would re resonate with this. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, well, I wish I would have. I wish I would have walked in obedience to the thing that God called me to. The series, Epic, we're going to take a look at what it means to live an epic life in an ordinary world. Living an epic life in an ordinary world. And what does epic mean? Epic is this. It's heroic, impressively great, and majestic. We understand epic because we, we like to watch epic movies. Anyone ever watched an epic movie? Right? There, a lot of the guys are like, yep. That's me. Epic movies, and so many of them are, are, are action movies or centered around uh, uh, themes of war, conquering. Um, in fact, some of the most lucrative, some of the movies that have made the most money in history have been these epic stories. And we love, I love watching those movies. Maybe you don't, but maybe you're more of a musical person. By the way, musicals are not epic. Okay, if you're thinking, oh yeah, I saw La La Land and it was epic. No, that doesn't that doesn't work. <laughs> musicals don't qualify, and and I I love musicals, but uh, but they're not epic. Movies like this, we will show you some pictures. How about this guy, right? What's his name? Yeah, all of the Lord of the Rings fans in the house. The, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was epic. In fact, it kind of set the bar for epic in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and, and you could tell when people are going out to the movies at midnight, back when we used to do that, now like the, the, the movie releases are like, oh, I'm going to go to the 8 o'clock show. What, what's that? We stand in line at midnight and watch these movies. So Frodo Baggins, that was an epic series. How about this guy? Right? Star Wars, 
this epic, this epic movie series that just keeps going and going and going, and it's still no less epic. But what but we could say about these, well, that's fantasy. It's science fiction. But then there's these epic movies that are based on true, uh, true events or, or surrounding true events. So we've got this gentleman. Yeah, anyone, anyone that you would say, that's my favorite movie right there? Yeah, Braveheart, I am William Wallace, right? And, and just, oh, what, what a scene when that army is up on the, the hill and the true story of the Scottish people standing up, up against the British Empire. Truly an epic movie. We have this movie. Remember this one? Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan, which... Uh, was based on a true story. There were actually four brothers. There wasn't five. There were four brothers, and three of them had been killed during World War II. And, and so the, the, the Army and the War Department decided, we got to bring this one guy back. And thankfully, at the end of the war, they found out that one of the brothers was still alive in a POW camp. But that movie, um, I remember seeing it, and the first 10 minutes of that movie were just um, amazing, just to, to the scope of what, what D-Day was like, um, and then it didn't even begin to capture it. It was epic. There's this guy who raced the chariot, Ben-Hur, and this is the more recent, the remake. Anyone see it? Okay, maybe it wasn't as epic, because I don't think it did as well, but Ben-Hur is an epic story, and, and then one that, another one that absolutely wrecked me was this one, Schindler's List. Epic. Individuals, people, men and women who stood out, stood up and did something that, that, that was astonishing, was hero- heroic. It was larger than life. And, and I think one of the reasons we, we like seeing these movies because we like how we respond, right? They're, they're gripping. They just suck us in. We, we're, we're enthralled with this story. They're, they're compelling you ever walk out of those movie theaters or, or watching that movie and you just want to go conquer something, right? You're like, come on, let's go. Okay, well, I live in Glendora. There's really, I'm going to conquer the termites in my house or I don't know. We're inspiring. They just, it just swells something up. Anyone? Is it just me, yeah. right? You kind of get that, oh, that's, but here's the thing. Here's usually where we settle we get all these feelings and how amazing that is, and then we come back to reality. We think this, well, it's not based in reality. There's no way my life could ever be like that, even for the, the stories that were true. There's no way my life will ever be epic. See, the problem with this thinking is, is that we start thinking that we're relegated to simple lives, that I'm just going to live my life, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to you know, go to school, I'm just going to earn money, I might go on some nice vacations in my lifetime and uh, maybe, maybe, maybe do a missions trip or something like that and I'll, uh, you know, as a Christ follower, I'll, I'll serve in my church, but, but nothing epic. If anything, it's more mundane. It's just rote, going through the motion, just this day-to-day normal can't stand that word. Normal. What's normal? Who gets to define what normal is? When I read my Bible, I don't see normal. Come on. There were not normal people in normal circumstances in the Word of God. From, from cover to cover, 
These people didn't live normal lives, but we somehow think that we just need to be normal, that we'll never accomplish anything meaningful or significant, yet studies show that that's the thing we long for the most. That, that in our inner being, that we want our lives to count for something. A young generation that's coming up are, are more committed to this than ever before. I don't want to just go through my life. I want my life to count. We start thinking that awesome things happen to other people, that awesome things, that epic things happen to other people, and we'll read about it in books and watch it on TV or go see it in a movie theater, but that's for them. Because of that, here's the thing, church, we have to start making excuses, because the truth is you're not called to a normal humdrum humdrum existence, just kind of eking out a living and just getting through the day. Because the word of God tells us something different, and we're going to take time to talk about that. See, but because that's in us, we have to start making excuses. I've made so many excuses in my life. I'll just talk about me, and you kind of catch whatever you think applies to you. So I've said things like this. I'm too young. I'm too young. There's no... I'm, I'm too young. I'd love to be a part of something bigger, but I'm just too young. I, I've not really said this too much yet, but I, I'm flirting with this one. I'm too old. I'm too old. The, the season, that season passed, and, and if I'd laid a hold of that in my 20s when I had more energy, I, I, but I'm too old now. I've kind of passed this point of no return. Um, the excuse of, well, I didn't go to school. I, I don't have a college education, so I don't have the tools that I need. Or maybe it's this one. I went to school, and I studied the wrong thing. I spent a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of years paying off that money, and I ended up studying the, the wrong thing. So, you know, I've just, I've just got to kind of tuck my head in and just kind of get down and just get through life. How about this one? This excuse, I don't want to stand out, either for the good or the bad. If I could just blend in, if I can just be a part of the herd and not make any waves or, or stir anything up, I, I just want to blend in, then, then I'll do that. I made this excuse a lot in my life and in my ministry. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough experience. If I had more experience, I had more opportunity. And in fact, for me, that one was always tied to, I don't have enough experience and that's someone else's fault because they didn't give me an opportunity. And then I blame other people. I don't have enough experience. I think this is one we all tend to struggle with. I've made too many mistakes, too many small mistakes or maybe a really big mistake. And so I'm somehow disqualified from, from doing anything awesome or epic. I, I, I just got to keep my head down just in case I, I, I don't mess up again. So let me just live a safe li- life. Or how about this? It's too late. It's too late. God's not going to use me because it's just it's too late. I, again, I've pa- passed that point of no return. You know, every one of these excuses stands in opposition to what the Word of God says you are. Every single one of them. 
every excuse I've ever made, God doesn't go, oh, you're right. Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, you're so right. That God doesn't recognize my excuses as reasons for the plan of my life to somehow fall apart. That God never looks at my life and never looks at your life and, and says, you're, you're too young, you're too old, you didn't go to school, or you studied the wrong thing, or you don't want to stand out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He never buys into the lies that we tell ourselves. Amen? Never. In fact, here's what the Word of God says, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. The words will be on the screen. God says this, the psalmist writing, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame, frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. No excuses. Why? Because God already knows. He already knows, and he still chooses you. And we could just stop right there. He knows the excuses because he knows your life because he saw your whole life laid out before you were even born. And he says, I've written and ordained these days and I've written them down in this book before one of them came to be. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul writes this, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's got something for you to do, and it is epic. It is epic. Whether or not you believe that it's epic doesn't matter. God's plan for you is epic. So we're going to take time over the next few weeks and we're going to look at some of the people in scripture who were ordinary people like you and me who ended up doing extraordinary, epic things for the kingdom of God. We're going to learn from them. See, here's the truth. Here's the truth that stands in the face of the excuses and the lies. You are a child of God. We sang that this morning. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are chosen and you are set apart. You are called. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Your life has value, meaning, potential, and purpose. You were born to be epic. You were born to be epic. So let's take this journey, let's take these next few weeks and learn from some of the, the people, the men and women in scripture who model for us, because sometimes we need a reminder that the people in this book were normal people. You know that God didn't call the superstars. He called the broken, he called the hurting. He transformed lives and then he released people to do amazing things. You are sitting here today because imperfect, 
ordinary people walked in obedience to the call of God in their life. The direct result of their actions led to us being here today. Isn't that awesome? Okay, a little bit. (laughs) So today, week one, we're going to kick it off talking about a guy named Noah. A man named Noah, he lived, we read about him in Genesis chapter 6, right in the the beginning of Scripture. And rather than me, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 through 22. Um, You can turn in your Bibles to that passage, but here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, We're going to actually listen to this passage uh, read by someone else. Um, I'm not going to read it. Uh, It's going to be played over the speakers, and there's a little bit of background music. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes, and I want, in your mind, I want you to paint a picture in your mind of of what this scene looked like. What was happening in Noah's life and the experience that he had. So it's Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 through 22. Let's go ahead and play that. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. If you've been around church at all or grown up in a Christian home, uh, and, and maybe even not that much, Grown up in a Christian nation or a predominantly Christian nation, the story of Noah is probably one that's not unfamiliar to you. Unfortunately, Hollywood decided to make the movie Noah and did a really, really bad job of interpreting scripture. So don't go watch the movie. It's totally inaccurate, um, except for the fact that there's an ark, a flood, and animals, everything else, just toss it right out. But this is a story that's familiar to us. In fact, the comedian Tim Hawkins um, kind of jokes about this. He says, you know, it's amazing that we paint the scenes of Noah and the ark on children's bedroom walls. Because it's this idea is there was so much evil on the earth that God decided to wipe out every living creature. Right? And there's really nothing cute about that. There, it's, it's a horrible story. 
when, when you think about it, but it's one that we're familiar. And one of the problems is when we get familiar with things, we lose the detail and we lose the depth of it. I imagine that even just listening to it and closing your eyes, you painting a picture in your mind's eye, it's probably the picture that you've seen from the first time that you've you heard that or, or heard that story or read it. Uh, maybe it's gotten bigger and better over the years, but our imaginations are powerful to be able to paint those pictures. And I wanted to give us the opportunity to, to see a little bit of what was going on. Out of, out of Noah's life, the question I want to ask this morning is this. How do you live an epic life when you're all alone? How to live an epic life? How do you live an epic life when you're all alone. You see, Noah was all alone. Now, when I say Noah, it was Noah and his wife and his sons, and, it, and they're mentioned. So, so Noah and his family. But Noah was all alone. And, and Noah wasn't alone because there was a lack of people. There was no lack of people on the face of the earth. See, Noah was alone in his thinking. Noah was alone in his faith. And Noah was alone in his righteousness. He was all alone. How do you live an epic life when you're all alone? Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you felt alone at times in your life. See, here's the thing. The thing that made Noah's life epic was not the ark. The thing that made Noah's life epic was not the flood. It wasn't the things that happened afterwards. In, in my opinion, in my thinking, the thing that made Noah's life epic was the fact that he was righteous and blameless in a world that was the exact opposite. That's what made Noah epic. It was everything before the ark that was epic. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, just a few verses below uh, before that says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a powerful statement. That every single person on the face of the earth, except for Noah that the inclination of their thoughts and of their hearts was only evil all the time. There was nothing good. Church, it was bad. It was a bad time to be alive. It was not a good situation to be in. It was not a good place to be. And everyone was in on it. Everyone had, what they say, drunk, drank the Kool-Aid that bought in, that all convinced each other that this was the way to live, to live in opposition to God, everyone except for Noah. How do you live an epic life when you're all alone? There was no support structure. Noah couldn't call his pastor. Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. I'm feeling kind of alone. There was no prayer network and no friends. There was no one. Noah was all alone. And then in this aloneness, God comes to him and says, Noah, I need you to build an ark because I'm going to send a flood that's going to wipe out everyone. There's going to be this rain. Now, scholars debate this point that I'm about to bring up, and, and I kind of lean towards one side, and I'll tell you what that is. See, 
at that point, what we understand from Scripture is at that point, it had not rained on the earth in the way that we have rain. It says that there was a mist that, that came up from the ground. And if you've ever had a greenhouse, you'll understand this, that, that there's just kind of this humidity in the air that, that, that waters the plants. And there's scriptures that back that up. There's other people who say, no, the way that God created the earth, that there was rain. They just not no record of it. Um, you, can, you can Google it. Come talk to me. I'll give you some verses to explain it a little bit more. For our purposes this morning, though, and, and I, what I believe is, is accurate, is it had never rained in the way that we... There was perfect balance that existed in, in, on the earth. So God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build an ark because it's going to rain. Now, it took about 100 years for Noah to build the ark, right? And, and, and he and his family built the ark. Who built the ark? Noah, Noah. Brother Noah built the ark and his kids. Can you imagine being Noah's neighbor? What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why? Because there's, well, there's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Well, it's when it rains a lot and there's a lot. What's rain? And for a hundred years, you're building this boat because God said build this boat because it's going to do something that it's, that's never happened before. And, and Noah is walking by faith to do this thing. Noah, who was already all alone, is now the weirdo who's all alone. And I imagine that there would have been ridicule. Why? Because the inclination of the people's hearts was evil. And evil people aren't usually nice and don't say kind things. And so for a hundred years, Noah has to slog it out building this ark because at some point, God says, I'm going to send animals, which I'm just thinking in the back of your mind, how's that even going to happen? Okay, Lord, I'll do this. How do you live an epic life when you're all alone? See, there's two key verses in what we just heard out of uh, chapter 6, verse 9 and verse 22. It says in verse 9, the second part of the verse, that Noah was a righteous man, blameless, blameless among the people of his time. He was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. At some point, Somehow, Noah had decided in his life and for his family, I'm not going to go the way that everyone else is going to go. Now, now listen, church, it would have been easy because who would have known, right? Even if he sinned a bit, even if it was just a bit of evil, at least he would have been better than everyone else who were completely evil. Who would have known? Well, that question is answered for us in verse 22. It says that he walked faithfully with God. That the presence of God in Noah's life was enough that he would stand before all of those people and say, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to go the way that you're going. I'm going to stand for what is righteous. I'm going to stand blameless, not because of you, but because of him. Not because of the culture and the world around me, but because of who God is. Does it sound a little bit like the world we live in? Just a bit? See, we all face pressure to conform to the, the thinking of the day, whatever the Kool-Aid is in our current context. 
See, it's nothing new about this. See, in every area of life, you're going to face pressure to conform to the thinking and the ways of the world. In your homes, your family, and marriage. Just go to Barnes & Noble and stroll the aisles, right? All of the, the self-help books. There's lots of thinking and lots of ideas about how you should parent or not parent. How you should do things in your marriage. What's acceptable. How marriage should be defined or not defined. And on and on it goes. In your work, in your finances. Lots of opinions. In fact, I think Facebook has become the primary opinion sharing place, right? It's not really connecting with friends anymore. It's people just shoving their ideas on, you know, and it's just your timeline. It's all it is, hiding stuff or better yet, not looking at it at all. Government and politics, any, do you think there's any ideas or any thinking in relation to government and politics? Anyone? Yeah, just a bit, right? Maybe a, a bit much. You, you should think this way. You should think that way. You should be more tolerant like I am, right? And if you're not, then I don't want to be your friend anymore. Social issues. Recreation and entertainment. And even in religion, theology, and the church. There's the thinking of the day, the things that are popular, the things that, that, that people just adopt and say, yeah, that sounds good. Ba back in uh, the mid-2000s when Wikipedia was really coming into uh, its fullness and, and people were jumping in and realizing this is a great resource, uh, there's a, a term that I heard, I've shared this before, is the term wikiality. Wikiality. Truth is determined by the masses. If we get enough people to agree and say something is this way, then it must be truth. And then we'll post it online so that kids can look it up and then cite it in their reports, right? And I remember when, when I was in school and, and I, I graduated from Life Pacific College in the mid-2000s, and I remember, I remember my professor saying, don't quote Wikipedia. It's not, it's not a credible source, right? Because it's just... Can we get the most people? Whoever has the loudest voice wins. Here's the thing. We face these pressures, but the Bible is clear about how we're to respond. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes this. Do not conform. Let's read that together, those three words. Ready? Do not conform. What he means by that is, do not conform. To the pattern of this world. He, de he didn't have to spell it out. All he's saying is there is a pattern of this world. There's a way that this world, the, the, the way this world says things should be. Everything from how the world came into being to how we came into being to, to all of the other issues that I talked about. Don't conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But do what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, Noah got this long before these words were ever written by the Apostle Paul. See, Noah knew that if I walk with God and I have this faithful, committed relationship with God and I listen to his voice, 
And, and, and if what he thinks matters more than what people think, then I'll be able to hear his voice and respond to his voice and build an ark. Now, Noah didn't set out in his life going, you know, my dream for my life is to build a huge boat just in case it rains. Right? It's not something he set for himself, but because of the closeness of his relationship with God, he heard the voice of God speaking to him. He was able to test and approve what God's pleasing and perfect will was for his life. And see, the thing we have to remember when we read the Bible is he's not just the God of the New Testament, he's the God of the Old Testament as well, and he's the same God. The same God who, who spoke the world into being is the same God who, who by the Holy Spirit, by his Holy Spirit, brought these words to the, the, these pages through the apostles, through the prophets. He's the same God. He has the same heart. Even as a, a Foursquare church, Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the yesterday is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's, that's our, our core passage as, as a denomination, as a four-square church, that Jesus doesn't change, and that's good news. Because, man, the things in my life are constantly changing, and I'm constantly changing. But to know that he doesn't change is so good because I can test and approve what his will is when I make sure that I'm being transformed, when I'm walking with him. There's a term that's used in psychology and sociology. It's the term groupthink. Groupthink. Maybe you've heard it before. Groupthink. I'm going to actually read a definition of groupthink to you. This, this is what it says. The practice of approaching problems or issues as matters that are best dealt with by consensus of a group rather than by individuals acting independently. Conformity. Goes on to say, it's the lack of individual creativity or a sense of personal responsibility. Did you hear that? The lack of create, creativity and personal responsibility that is sometimes characteristics of group interaction. Groupthink is essentially this. If I know something is true, and I know that I know that I know that it's true, and I walk into a room of people, and studies have been done to prove this, and everyone in that room thinks the opposite of what I think, eventually I will change what I know that I know that I know is true to match what the rest of the group says just to keep the peace, just to blend in, just because I don't want to stand out. Because there's consensus, I somehow feel like they must be right and I must be wrong. And, and you can apply this to so many different arguments and different things that are debated when it comes to, to the Bible and theology and the decisions and the things that are being decided in the world around us. If we can just get enough people saying the same thing, if you disagree, then you must be intolerant or a bigot or a racist or a religious freak. And eventually you just kind of get worn down and go, well, I'll just kind of, that's not epic. Noah stood as the only person on the face of the earth who said, I will not sin against God. I don't care what you say. Epic is being able to stand up against groupthink, the pattern of this world, the way that the enemy says things should be, the way that your neighbor says things should be your college professor, 
We have to test everything against the word of God. Everything. See, groupthink is so immensely dangerous for the follower of Jesus. Because we'll couch it and, and, and disguise it in, well, I've, I've just got to love people and accept people. You know, Jesus drew some very hard lines in his ministry because he was not committed to groupthink or popularity. He was committed to truth. It was all about truth. In fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 18, verse 36 through 37. He's standing before Pilate. Jesus says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Why did Jesus come? He came to testify to the truth. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies and all he can ever do is lie. And so we needed someone, a savior, who would only speak truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Church, this is huge. This is so key to our thinking, the key to us breaking out of the excuses we make in our lives and embracing everything that Jesus has for us. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And when he says listens, by the way, he's not like, it's not like a podcast where he's like, hey, would you just listen to this? And then just forget it. Right? That's actually, what he's saying is listen and do it. In the book of John, he says, if you will listen to these words, my teachings, and do them, what will happen? You'll be blessed. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, does the things that I say to do even when it's not easy. Remember, Jesus is standing before Pilate about to go to his death on the cross, and he's making this statement, I stand for truth. I stand for truth. So how how do you live an epic life when you're all alone? If you're taking notes, there's three things, and we'll close with these three thoughts. You have to remember this. First is this. You have the capacity to receive truth. You have the capacity to receive truth. I drive a Ford Excursion that has a 44-gallon capacity diesel fuel tank. So I watch fuel prices really closely, right? Because I know there's a lot of capacity there. I know when I pull up at the pump, I'm going to be there for a while. But here's the other thing. I know that when I'm on a road trip, I'm going to pass up a lot of gas stations, Capacity is the ability to receive something. You have the capacity to receive truth. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came to testify to the truth. 
And because of his death and his resurrection, he opened the door for you to, to, to receive every bit of that truth that you could lay a hold of. That he gave us his word, that his word is truth. And that we're to receive that truth, to take it in. In fact, you should have an insatiable appetite for the truth of God. You should just crave it and want more. Because I, I'll tell you what, your capacity will never be filled. I can fill my fuel tank up to, up to, right up to that nozzle, right up to that, that filler neck. Your capacity for truth will never be satisfied. There's always room for more. There's always room to go deeper. But God has created you with that capacity. Like Noah, you can walk faithfully with God. Walk in a place where God is just downloading things into your heart and into your mind. The second thing is this. You, you have the ability to understand truth. You have the ability to understand truth. See, God has made himself known to you. It's not that Jesus just wanted to say, hey, I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of things, and then good luck figuring it out. Now, there's things in God's word that are not easy to wrap our heads around, but it's not impossible either. Through revelation by the Holy Spirit, and as we stand in, in, on his word by faith, that we will receive understanding. And can I tell you, this doesn't happen if you're reading the Bible every couple of weeks. If you want to know the truth, read the truth. Be in the word. We use the, the solid life uh, reading plan here at our church, and, and, and we have the bookmarks at the back. The reading plan is on, in the bulletin this morning. You can find it on our website. Why? Because we are committed to helping you. When I say we, our pastors, our leadership, we're committed to helping you engage with the truth of God for yourself, to be a self-feeding Christian, to receive the word of God. And so if you want to know the truth, read the word. Be in the word and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that understanding. John chapter 8, 31 and 32, Jesus here is, is speaking to a group of Jews who had put their faith in him. It says this, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. Anyone want to be free? Right? One of the most misquoted passages of Scripture. The truth will set you free. No, Jesus will set you free, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you hold to my teaching, if you listen to what I say, you're really my disciples, and, and then you will know the truth. You will know the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You have the ability to understand the truth. And then finally, you have the opportunity to stand on the side of truth. And church, this is where Noah took his stand. Noah knew God. He walked with God, and he had the opportunity every single day to compromise. Every single day. 
you have the opportunity every single day to compromise. Multiple times a day, multiple times per hour, you have the opportunity to compromise and conform. But you also have the opportunity to stand on the side of truth. What did Jesus say? Everyone on the side of truth does what? Listens to me. You have the opportunity to stand on the side of truth. How do you live an epic life when you're all alone? You stand on the side of truth. Even when no one else does. Even when other people attack you and come against you and say, you know what, you just need to be like us. Everyone else thinks it's this way. Why do you still hold on to that antiquated, weird, religious thinking? We're enlightened. No, I stand on the side of truth. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what you feel like you accomplish or don't accomplish in your life. If all you ever do in your life is stand on the side of truth, you will live an epic life. And then one day when you stand before God, he will say these words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's epic. That's epic. See, we have to stop thinking about epic in terms of what I do externally and what I accomplish, right? We say things, well, what do you want written on your tombstone? I just want, man, he walked with God. That's enough. If all I ever accomplish in my life is that people say, Barry walked with God and he was blameless. I'm good. Are you? Is that enough for you? Where are you at today? Where are you at in the battle of conforming to the pattern of this world or being transformed by the renewing of your mind? I want to extend the invitation to you that Jesus extends to you to know the truth and to be set free. We stand together and invite the worship team to come. I would love to be able to stand up here and say, church, it's easy. This is so easy. Just go, it's just easy. We get it. This is not easy. This is some of the hardest things you will ever do. And can I tell you, it's not getting easier, it's getting harder. And when I think about our kids, when I think about our young people and the world that they're growing up into, we as, as adults, as, as, as parents, as uncles, as aunts, as grandmas, as grandpas, as spiritual parents in this church need to take seriously our responsibility of raising up children in the way they should go, in the way of truth, which means we better know the truth. This isn't just for you. It's for them as well. Because Satan's working overtime to bring his lies, to distract people from what is true. We need to take our stand on the side of truth. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Close your eyes. I want to extend this invitation. 
Maybe you heard this message today and you're thinking, I, I don't know Jesus that way. Maybe you've never said yes to him or received him as your Lord and Savior. We just read that verse. Jesus is the truth. And he says, you can know him and really be his disciple. When you receive him as such, when you receive him as, as your Lord and Savior. But here's the thing. You have to take a stand. You have to respond to that invitation. He doesn't force it on you. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never received him and asked him to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. No one's looking around. This is between you and the Lord, but I do want to agree with you. If that's you today and you'd want to say yes to Jesus, would you simply raise your hand up in the air? Nice and high. Anyone this morning want to say yes to Jesus? We don't ever want to miss an opportunity to extend that invitation. It's the biggest decision you will ever make in your life. Amen. Church, I want to encourage you this morning. As you keep your eyes closed, you can spend some time with Jesus. We're going to close in worship. How do you live epic when you're all alone? I know this, it's for some of you in this room this morning, you feel all alone. You're surrounded by people and you feel all alone. Can I just encourage you today in the same way that Noah had God walking close, that God is close to you. The Holy Spirit wants to minister to you. And we would love the opportunity to stand with you as well to agree with you, to pray with you. Our prayer team will be available right after the service, right next to where the hub is in the back of the room there. During this worship song, if you need someone to to stand with you and pray with you and encourage you, unlike Noah, we have each other. And we have the words of life to give. As you go this week, Would you commit in your heart and in your life to stand on the side of truth? And let's see what God can do with our ordinary lives. Father God, this morning we are so thankful that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have a plan and a call and a purpose for each one of us. And God, beyond that, we're just simply children of the Most High, that we get to call you Father, that we're your kids. That's epic in and of itself. But I pray, Lord, that you would release us, Lord, from the the shackles and the thinking of this world, the pattern of this world and the places where the the thinking of this world is creeped in and seeped in and laid a hold in our lives. Lord, would you release those chains, those shackles, and cause us to walk in truth that we would be a church, that we would be a people who would stand on the side of truth for your name, in Jesus' name.